winter's coming to an end and uh, spring is starting. And there's a... Mm, there's a metaphor that we can use for the our spiritual work that has to do with uh, you know the winter and the, sp the spring and the, this whole thing about um, death and rebirth and um, <coughs> death and resurrection um, do you know what resurrection is? Resurrection. How would you define resurrection? Being alive after death again. It's a phoenix. Oh yeah. Can you say more about that? All these things are dead, and then uh, uh, with this uh, this hush, mm -hmm. some new things can be birthed. There's a book on the reading list. It's a book by Rogan Taylor. <clears throat> and it's called The Death and Resurrection Show. Did anybody read that? Mm. It's a... Uh, yeah, anyway, the, most of the book is contained in the title, but it has to do with just the fact of um, it being a show, which means that it, it kind of goes over and over again. It's not just a one-time thing. It's like... Um, process, an ongoing process that involves this death and resurrection, but it's a, um, something to behold, something to see, something to participate in, or something to um, experience, rather than uh, something just to talk about. And if, um, because we're in a spiritual tradition that is not just, well, it's related, for example, to the fourth way which isn't uh, like a, can people name the four ways? There's the way of the mind, which is the yogi, and there's the way of the body, which is the fakir, and then there's the way of the heart, which is the, the bhakti, which is the, what do you call that? There's the fakir and the, oh, it's the monk, right? The way of the heart is the monk. And the fourth way is all of those ways together, all of them all at the same time, whatever um, using using everything it's a it's like a tantric way using everything so the because this school is a so can we interrupt on the piece? so i'm interested in this monk 
like um, how it meant no, not like celibacy probably no no it's where the heart I think um, I think it refers to Jesus for example calling himself um, love or like the, the way of love it being a devotional bhakti love kind of context and working with that do you need more about more than that I mean I, I find the expression it's kind of astonishing I think that's what they have used I think I found it astonishing also it wasn't what I originally thought no. but the the monk is um, I think it's associated with the kind of the love love and the heart center and the the man of the heart and the way of the heart and that, that whole thing but they give that person the name of a monk or a sort of like you know um, being in relationship with the that aspect of the divine which is love and um, I think I think it's an interesting domain to explore, but one has to do that personally, I think. I think that um, when, if we were to explore the domain of love, there would have to be some, I mean, there's some steps along the way that you can take. Um, one of those ways has to do, I mean, I think there's some conditions that are involved in experimenting with love and I think that some of those conditions have to do with um, like taking regard for protecting Lee calls it a um, uh, making like making a little chamber did, did you ever hear him talk about that he talks about making a chamber in the heart where um, it's like a it's like a fist-sized you know this big place in you for it's like a, a a space that's held or protected and it's for love really only so that you never yeah so he's talked about it a couple times but it was pretty much blew me away when he was talking about it but he was saying that yeah you make that space inside you so you're a space holder for um, that place to be of love and then um, you have to it's not about uh, naivete it's not about giving your center away for example it's not about um, uh, do you know what I mean being a follower it's not like that kind of love it's about um, a fiery experience or a f full experience in a so to do to be to do experiments along the lines of that um, you need to be able to have this space that's protected it but not give your center away and at the same time have a uh, have that space be not where you are like be an empty space so that love can be there so that you can be a space for love 
and um, to be that space where you're not there you can't really do that unless you're willing to die it's like the for, it goes for ego or for psychology it's like to be not there you know what I mean by being not being there Warner Earhart talks about that he talks about that our lives are often if you look at your life and think about the times when your life is really the best it's those times those are the times when you're not there those are the times when things are like flowing or happening or it's just on fire and those are times when you're actually not there so to set that up as a condition to work with love then that means that um, you're not there actually when that's happening and there's a so you have to be willing to die. You know, the American Indians have this phrase, is it a good day to die? I don't know if you heard that. There was one time when Warner Earhart was least told this story too, that there was a trainer for the EST program in New York City and he'd never been, he's not from New York, he went to New York and he knew that in New York City that there's all these wild people and he's about to give a training. And he knows that in New York if people don't like you, they tell you about it and so he was really scared he was um, thinking he could be up in the front of the room and anybody could come to this training and they might attack him or who, who knows what crazy people were going to come and he got really scared and he called up Werner Earhart and he said Werner what do I do you know I'm about to go to this training and and these wild people from New York could just come and who knows do anything and, and what do I do and Werner says you, you get up and you look in the mirror and you look at yourself and you ask yourself the question is it a good day to die and, and if the answer is yes well then you just go ahead and that's what you have to do is ask yourself that question and so um, that ha that's the, one of the conditions I think for a monk to be working with this stuff called love because I think um, we can't experience it really when we're there. So the conditions then are to hold this space and, but not give our center away and uh, to be uh, willing to die and at the same time one of the conditions is to have a longing for that experience or to like you said to have an interest in working with love. So because and then there's so there's one other condition I think that is interesting because I think it has to do with this uh, saying that Jesus has this thing about where two or more are gathered in my name there am I in the midst of them did you ever hear that before it comes from the Bible it's something that Jesus said it says, where two or more people are gathered in my name. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard of yeah. that before. Mm -hmm. How do you say that in French? Si deux ou trois personnes se rassemblent dans mon nom. Exactly. Then what? Je serai là. Right. So, Jesus has said, you know, I am love. I think he said, didn't he say that quite a bit? I'm sure he said a lot of stuff. I don't know. Who knows, he's dead a long time ago and people distorted everything he said anyway, but um, yeah, so so I think there has to do monks generally live in you know, groups like this 
So they don't usually live alone. It's not an ascetic, you know what I mean? It's not a guy living in a cave. A monk is not usually a guy in a cave. A monk is a guy usually at a, an ashram or a monastery. So I think that if you're doing experiments with love, then you have to find some other people who are willing to gather in the name of that aspect of the divine, which is love. And then um, in that way, then there can be a kind of radical experience of love. And Yeah, so I think that's kind of the domain where the monks work. So we're working there, but we're also working in um, our intellect, our intellectual center, and our physical center all at the same time. It's all engaged. And if we're engaged in that kind of a process, it's not simply, uh, it's not a safe process. We can't expect to be to do this and um, keep what we have already. But what we have already is the fuel for the for the process to consume itself with you know in us. So it's like um, to go through the processes that we're <coughs> being brought into through the work with um, the school. That. We have to be in some way educated and prepared to go through the, um, the same kind of a death and resurrection show that, or this um, process of death and resurrection that happens like from in this time of the year, you know, from winter to spring and also there's even, uh, today's even Easter, so. Yeah, happy Easter. <laughs> I know this from Claire. <laughs> See, we know nothing here. You know what's important here. It wasn't necessarily something important. There was a time, I told this story once before, but there was a time when I was at E.J. Gold's place. E.J. is a, he's Jewish, so... I'm not really sure how Jewish people relate to Jesus and Easter. Does anybody they like them too much? They don't like them too much. That's what I thought. No. <laughs> <coughs> so, but the children, we were Brenda and I were there, and we had ch our children there, and EJ had a bunch of children there at the ashram, his ashram. I don't think he calls it an ashram, but at his house. And so when we were there, they knew that we had children, and so they gave. Brenda and I the job of preparing an, like an Easter um, little Easter thing for the children in the morning. Well, the, some of EJ's students had, it was the night before Easter, so they had gone around to the different candy stores and if people had different candy left over that hasn't been sold yet on the night before Easter, they will give it away or sell it cheap or something. They came back with like <laughs> boxes full of this chocolate and all this stuff for Easter, so that all these decorations and everything, they, they just gave it to Brenda and I, so, I don't know, there must have been 12 or 15 kids around, and we we made these amazing Easter baskets, I mean, you know, they're like the fantasy kind that you would, you would, you know, only dream of when you were a child, you know, it's like you can hardly pick the things up, they're so full of jelly beans and colored 
plastic paper and like little bunnies and rabbits and like all this stuff. So we make we do all this stuff so we were kind of sucked into this whole Easter thing happening. And so I, it was in the morning and I, um, you know, EJ, he just is like kind of never, like he's busy. That guy is busy. So he's working on stuff and everybody's kind of doing whatever they do, washing dishes or working in the garden or whatever, cleaning up or all. Whenever you go there, they put you to work doing something. So everybody was all busy and you just kind of never see EJ except for maybe meals. He comes around at meals and if he gives a talk. And so I never was close to EJ at all. And then there was this one moment where I was coming in the house and they had it arranged. So you come in the door and there was a, like a, a couch or a Davenport. What do you call those things? A, a big... Um, can you don't? No, no, it's like a, where people, a bunch of people can sit. The thing we usually have over here that's in the so, apartment. Yeah, sofa? Yeah. The sofa. So there's a big sofa. And to come in, you have to... Sofa. Huh? Sofa. Come in. Sofa. Okay. Sofa, okay. So to come in the house and to go in, you have to kind of walk through this single passage behind this long sofa. So I'm coming in, and at that moment, EJ was going out. And so the, the way we met was we we passed each other like behind the sofa. So there's only you know, one meter of room, and I've never been that close to <laughs> EJ before. So I'm getting kind of closer, and I'm starting to kind of go by, you know, and he's kind of doing the same thing, because I'm some, some you know, beginning student who's like totally contaminated and unconscious <laughs> and everything. So I'm coming closer and closer, and I'm like getting face to face with EJ. So the thing that comes out of me, you know, what comes out is, Happy Easter. <laughs> That's what came out of my mouth, you know. Hot, and it's like he's Jewish, you know. And I'm in a spiritual school, and I'm not supposed to give a shit about that stuff anyway. And I was totally unconscious. The thing I say is Happy Easter, and he just looks at me and goes, "Yes," <laughs> which, which is a principle from a spiritual principle, which is to agree. You just it's called agree with the primate. So. I'm being a primate. He just agrees. So I go, Happy Easter. He goes, Yes. You know, and that's all he said. And he walks by. And afterwards I go, Oh, man, that was stupid. But then all day long after that, anytime EJ would pass somebody, he would say something like, Happy Valentine's Day. Merry Christmas. Happy Halloween. Happy birthday. He was just saying this to people all day long. I'm like, Oh, man. <laughs> Yes, today is Easter, so. <laughs> so this process of going through um, uh, death and resurrection is, well, it's like Ani was saying, when, when we are crashing and burning, as like the phoenix, this phoenix bird is a, it's a legendary bird or something that actually burns up and then changes into ashes and then out of the ashes um, the new the new baby phoenix is born like right out of the ashes and so the thing is though when we're going through the process of burning it's really um, as extreme as uh, it looks it's like really it's it's like death for everything that we're identified with in terms of our you know, our personal 
opinions or our personal what we think is true or what we think is right or what we think is who we are or important, what we think is important, what we think is necessary. Like all those things one at a time get burned away or if you look at wintertime what happens, you know, the trees they all the leaves dry up and fall off and they they actually start to look dead and the uh, the plants, you know, the flowers don't come out. It's like everything just kind of shuts down and so we're uh, we're in a spiritual tradition where the the um, the shutdown is built in. I mean, it's the the disintegration or the consumption in fire or the um, it's the drying up or the um, fading away of. Um, all that is like really part of our tradition <coughs> and yet um, and it's a physically felt experience it's part of our tradition is this process this cyclic process of this death and resurrection and the um, so what I wanted to kind of have us work on this morning is just what in terms of our school, what is the teaching about that? What is the teaching about how to go through the death and resurrection part? What what have we been taught so far about um, actually... See, if we're not willing to abandon a part of ourself, then we, we cling to it. So that those things about ourselves that we cling to um, that's baggage or it's like um, it's uh, that's what locks us into that prevents us from taking the next step or that's the edge that's where we get to and we go that's our border or that's our um, our limit and so whatever that thing that we're clinging to that limit is is what's in the way between us and being in relationship with Lee to the place where he's inviting us to be in relationship with him or that's what is preventing us from like what Nicola was talking about in terms of love that's what's that's what's keeping us from being uh, in love I don't mean like I mean by in, like being in that space where love is, or being having love be in the space where we used to be. Um, like, that's what's keeping us there, is anything that we're clinging to that we won't let die. Or that we, you know, you can have this or you can have that, but you can't have, you know, this particular thing. Lee told the story many times, I think, about that, um, that one woman who somebody was talking about, and he was saying... Or I guess it was uh, Arnaud Desjardins gave this woman a practice to not put on makeup or something for mm -hmm. for a month or a week or something and she said no, no anything but that you know not that sure you know, I'll do anything you want anything just tell me something to do well okay don't wear makeup for a month oh not that so that thing that we cling to the thing that we can't let come apart or die that's the part where that's the next thing that needs to burn and it uh, the thing is that every time it burns, it's extremely uncomfortable, and 
there is no certainty about the, the resurrection. Like you can't die and go, oh, well, I'm just going to be reborn again. Like it doesn't really matter because, because I'm going to survive this, or it doesn't, it's not really, it's not part of the game. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't look like it. We don't know about it. Like if it's burning and dying, then it's burning and dying, and there's no promise there's no guarantee on the other side of coming out. It just because even that gets disassembled, the whole thing gets disassembled. So, the question that I wanted to work with this morning is about how. What is our teaching about dealing with that? What is our teaching about going through the that process? I mean, it's very different from what I'm going to say, but nevertheless. I started reading Beyond Release yesterday again, and really is saying like, this is death thing, like, it's an illusion, and it's really nothing. The only death, yeah, I mean in a way, it, maybe it's, he it, it says the only death is, and maybe that's, that's what you're talking about, being, it's a death to you, to everything, all your memories, so all, all your collected data, and your habits, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, of course it's an illusion, but the thing is it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't, and there's no way that we can really, you know, if, if we're aching all over or we're really angry or we're terrified or we have a headache or we have zero energy or we, we feel like, like just breaking things or whatever, like that's, sure, it's all illusion, but it's actually, we're experiencing it. So the, the, what I'm interested to talk about is to actually kind of remember or reassemble the teaching that we have been given about how to how to do that, like that, more like that. One aspect is that um, we are dead. We just have to come to life. But <laughs> <laughs> actually, we have to just let go of death. Death. <laughs> death is clean. Clinging is death, and so on. Death is what? Clinging. Clinging is death. Clinging. We hold ourselves. Clinging. Hold on. To hold on on things. Clinging. 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 Holding on. What's that? Auf Deutsch ist was? Festklammern. Yeah, fest. Anklammern. Holding on. Grampi. Etwa grampi. Kramponi. 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 Akroche. Well, then what is living, then? Get to let go. To be open, I would say. Yeah. There was part of the... Mm, I think Lee's told this story, but I forget where it comes from. It has to do with... Uh, it's. it's I know where the original story comes from, the desert comes from, the, the, the cultures who live in the desert in Africa, for example, in the Sahara and stuff, and they have this saying about something like, if you hold, if you hold in your hand, if you hold on to the sand, then what you have is a, mm -hmm. is a handful of the sand, that's all you have, but if you open your hand, then all the sand in the desert can pass through your hand, but if you have a closed hand, if you cling on to one thing, 
that's all you get is that little bit of sand. But if you open your hand, like you're saying, open, then everything is yours. The whole desert is yours. Yeah, so how do we do it? Well, it might be the other way around. It's why would we want to protect ourselves from having the whole desert? Why would we want to protect ourselves from being open? Well, it's not so much a protection from having the desert or so from the positive part, but it's kind of... I think we fear what might happen because it's kind of like we don't know. Usually, I mean, there's some trauma there. Anyway, so you don't want to repeat that. You mean of being open? Yeah, kind of. Well, I mean, like child. I mean, everybody has a childhood trauma, so mm -hmm. as child, you are kind of open. Something happens, mm -hmm. then you kind of start trying to avoid that it happens again. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's for what for me. Uh, the training to to see first to see uh, what is happened to see my habits and then when I see more and more close the, the moment where the, my habits or the, the shock the traumatic is uh, happen I can I can do nothing but uh, this habit can change only if I see very, very close and I am free of my habit if I see them just uh, when I am doing that. Maybe at one point. Mm. Yes, yeah. but it's point after point. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can change. Uh, I can do and change all the things, but... No, I mean, I can see it without getting free of it. And maybe after a while, or maybe... Be because uh, uh, um, for me, I see that I see after time. I see uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the thing is happening, mm -hmm. and I see. And I have to see now. Mm -hmm. and it's a training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you see that, then that's the thing that sort of lights it on fire, you know. And often, I, um, the things happen, I see, and then my mind do a lot of uh, <laughs> movie with what I see. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that um, most of our efforts are invested in not seeing. That's what I think. I think most of our efforts are protecting ourselves from seeing. Yes. Because I think that it's really all right here. Um, one of the exercises. Like seeing, seeing what's going on. Or yeah. What? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Everything. Mm -hmm. It's all right there, all the time. Like, remember in uh, the play that we just heard, the musical about Milarepa? 
and that there's that one song about the um, when Milarepa has his enlightenment experience, his realization, and he's sitting there in the cave talking about how he already, what he just got, he already had, but he didn't know that he had it. And so it was always there, but he never saw it before. So he never saw it that way. Everything is the same, but it's all different now. And that, um, I think that our efforts, that most of our energy and our our our, um, in our cleverness, you know, our intelligence is invested in protecting ourselves from seeing what's right in front of us, from what you're talking mm -hmm. about. That's what mm -hmm. I think, because I don't know if Andrea said that somebody said about about knowing, about like that's what we really want to do is know. That's what our mind wants and what our ego wants and what psychology wants is to know because if we know, then we're in control. And if we're in control, then we're safe. And if we're safe, then that, then we won't get hurt again. If we're, then we won't be, and we can protect ourselves by controlling our environment and manipulating our environment. And but that's it's all about attenuation. Do you know what attenuation is? Mm -hmm. En français, it's attenuation. In uh, Deutsch, it's attainment. No, no, no. Attenuation means to shut down, to close it. Close the curtain. To, sh to attenuate means to make smaller and smaller. So. Diminution. Diminish. Yeah. To make smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. It's like on a on a radio, you turn the volume mm -hmm. down. It's like that's to mm -hmm. attenuate, but it's to diminish. Mm -hmm. Smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. So I think that our efforts are to take this vast experience of God, reality, which is right here all the time, and just to make it down to this little tiny thing that we can control and ma manipulate and know. And then we go, okay, that's reality. That's the world. This is real. This is what's true, is that little place. And then each of us has a different view of what's real. You know, you, what's real for you is different from what's real for you, is different from what's real for you. This is important. This is what's real. And it's all different. That's because we all attenuated like this big reality down to this little place where we go, this this is, you know, that we can control and that is safe for us. But that would mean that, that we are really, really stupid. I mean, because it's very <laughs> obvious that you, you have to see if you really want to control. First, you have to see what's going on. Well. Right, so since we can't control the thing that is so big, we can't. Yeah, but that would be as the only chance, I mean. Then we can, we have to continue, to, we have to make it only so small as to what we can control. So yeah, but it's so, it's so stupid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? That's what least did. I'm going to tell you one thing. You're stupid. <laughs> That's the teaching. Now figure it out. <laughs> what do you mean I'm stupid? I'm not stupid. You really see it now? <laughs> I was, I got good grades in school. I have a Mercedes Benz. I'm not stupid. There's this, um, E.J. Gold has this exercise. One of his exercises is called the fog exercise. 
So fog is spelled in English F-O-G. Mm -hmm. So fog it is what? It's um, maybe. It's like mist, mist fog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, it's a kind of attenuation, but it's called occlusion. Do you know what occluding means? Occlusion, O-C-C-L-U? No. No. Occlusion is like when, when you can't see the sun because the clouds are in the way. What's that again? Fanibulum. Okay. I don't know that word, but it sounds like it. It's like, it's like there's the sun. Did the mm. sun go away? No, the no, sun didn't go away. The mm. sun is still there, but we can't see it because it's occluded, mm -hmm. because the fog is in the way. So the fog blocks the sun. So where does the fog come from? So the fog, the fog comes from us. We're fog generators. Remember in different plays, they have these like, smoke generators? Like, so we make our own, we make this fog around us. And so we can't really see the sun, which is the brilliance and the clarity and the, the presence of God right here. We can't see that because we're generating this fog. So what, what E.J. did is he took that word fog and he, he, and he says that uh, it's an acronym, actually. Do you know what an acronym is? An acronym is a word that's made of the first letters of some other words. Mm -hmm. So, like, I keep thinking that home, you know, meaning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought so. I kept thinking. What did you, what did you think? <laughs> no, I was laughing about another one. There was, we had this program in Athenor called Camp. Um, did you hear about Camp? Mm -hmm. It was the program, and so all these. The people who were in camp have now become porn as students. And so, um, camp, people ask me what camp stands for, what it is, and I says, camp stands for come and meet porn. <laughs> <laughs> come and meet porn. <laughs> so, that's an acronym. <laughs> so, um, so the, there's an acronym. FOG, then, is an acronym. And the FOG stands for the face of God. Oh. So here we are with this fog in front of us that is everything that of our life, you know, every everything that's around us that we have an impression of, not just that we see, but we what we see in, in like the usually it's kind of a fog to us. Usually it's just like overwhelming, it's too much, it's we can't it's confusing, it's that but but it's actually all of that the richness of all of that experience is the face of God. Like this is God. That's God. That's it. And in our school, we call that just this. So, but and EJ calls it the face of God, which is just this. So but there's. We need fog because the face of God is too, too smiling for us. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what. Well, that's what, it depends what you mean by us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Not me in any case. <laughs> don't talk about me. You know, by uh, because us, no, by us, I mean it's like it's usually ego. Yes, sure. So it's when we say us, it's like okay, I'm identified with myself mm -hmm. as who I am, which is this ego thing. So this ego structure about my worldview and my experience of who I am that mm -hmm. definitely cannot stand together in the face of God because it's too smiling, mm -hmm. too it's too brilliant, and. But the 
I don't know. I mean, but I got a feeling for smiling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's really English journal. It's cranky. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's brilliant anyway. It's, <laughs> it's it's bright. It's like it's like Krishna intense. Was intense. Intense. Let's say intense. Intense. <laughs> intense. 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 Very good. Yeah. God is yeah. intense. So. Yeah, so the faith of God is really intense, and so we occlude that. So that's what our whole thing is about, is keeping stupid. So we're, our whole energy is directed towards being stupid about reality, about the world. Because when it is as intense as it really is, we can't control that. Because it's, it's out of our control. It's like Pema Chodron says, the the nature of reality is groundlessness, which means that there isn't a thing that we can hold on to that's, that we can control and manipulate, and so therefore we're not safe, we really aren't safe in that presence of that. So, but... I, I think it's bigger than that, because it's not just a thing of the mind, because I think that it's also a man of the body, like with Arjuna and Krishna, for example. Like, if Krishna, out of I think out of compassion he showed himself, mm-hmm. and out of compassion he took the side away because he would have gone blind, mm. or our circuits would burn through mm-hmm. if he would show himself. Mm-hmm. Because and that's comp- his compassion also. And I think it's more than just an ego trip or intellectually saying we don't want to look at it. Or mm-hmm. so. I think it's really an account process of the whole body. So that would be our. That's the training of the. Phoenix process, which is the burning part, is if we can, if we can, um, you can't control, but if you can become more able to tolerate the intensity of the experience of the burning, then that would be a training for us to prepare for what you're talking about, is the experience of the, the intensity of reality, what you're saying, mm-hmm. like the full presence of the intensity of that. So that's, that's part of why I wanted to bring that up this morning is that um, the value of like um, not trying to hide from the what Warner Earhart calls the breakdown part of the breakdown and breakthrough process or the the burning in the Phoenix metaphor the burning part or in the winter and summer metaphor it's the you know the death part the like having it actually be that intense and um, not not thinking that something is wrong or broken or that we can't handle it. I think there's a lot of, I think, I don't know, there's, Andre, you might, like, you, you know, like we try to protect ourselves, right? We try to be stupid or be, be in a fog or only attenuate the experience down to the smallest thing. And I think that... Um, I think it's like I was thinking of uh, insane asylums or crazy houses where uh, where it's like if people experience the intensity before they're ready then there's what you said was their circuits get fried and so a lot of times for example Marababa would go around to insane asylums looking for what he calls masts or masts, which are people who would get lost in that experience of the presence of God and then become non-functional. 
and he would try to get them functional again, not have them lose their experience of the presence of God, but at the same time become functional again. Then he would look around in insane asylums or crazy houses for people like that. So it's like, what what gets fried is um, it could part of what gets fried is the um, is that we're not prepared for the experience of having ego um, shattered or consumed in flames or or um, like non-functional. There's a way that the Sufis would prepare themselves for um, still being functional in the kind of the being on fire or the ashes state and it has to do with having hand hand work to do they would they would have uh, needlework or basket weaving or little stone stone carvings or wood carving or just um, building little things with their hands fixing like they would have this kind of a practice of hand work um, that they would do so that when so they would get good enough at it so that when when they were in that place where the thing that they thought was real isn't there anymore and there's nothing and the groundless state is there then they could they could be functional because they had this habits uh, that were called work habits or a body of habits that would that would um, carry them through the um, the the um, absence of the illusion so so there's like we have lots of ways around here where we can develop those kinds of um, habits too there was a my first real experience with a spiritual school was in Australia um, well, one of my first and it was it was a Gurdjieff Foundation school so we were in Sydney Australia and I had been reading the book of the in Search of the Miraculous by Ospensky, and a guy saw me reading that and said I should go meet this teacher guy. So I went to meet the teacher guy, and he let me come to their group meetings, and it was a Gurdjieff Foundation school who, interestingly enough, had a, um, his, this guy's teacher was in France. So he would be in contact by phone with his teacher in France several times a week and I don't know who it was in France, it was Gurdjieff Foundation in France, but that's who Michel de Salzman was the head of that for a long time. There. But um, this guy, Ron Bosenket in Sydney, was the teacher of that school, and part of the thing he would do, they had meetings on Thursday nights, but then um, at least once a month, maybe twice a month on a Saturday, they would have a full work day on Saturday at his house, and so he invited us to come to one. He knew we had to leave soon because of our visas, so he invited us to one of these Saturday work days, and he had maybe 30 people there, and every one of them was working on some hand project, some hand work stuff. But they, their goal was not to finish the project. Their goal was to do the work in a certain attitude, a certain way, that when that they could be, that was building a habit, like a work habit in them, a craft, it was in their body, so that when when they would go through these states, when the mind or the ego was disassembled and wouldn't wasn't able to function, that their body had this set of habits that they could just do their handwork or do their handicraft. And they were doing these amazing pieces of art, like stone carving and glass work and metal work and just this really fine. And some guys were just tunneling. <laughs> it was amazing. They were under the house digging out a new basement 
So part of their work was just digging holes in the ground, under the ground, under the house. There wasn't, you know, you built, normally you build the basement first and build the house on top. Well, they had the house already built, and now they were building a ton the basement underneath. And so they were, he took me down there, and I was just, I love tunneling, but... <laughs> <laughs> But these guys were just pickaxes, and they had this like little light, and you know, and that's what they were doing. They weren't really trying to get it done, but they were just pickaxing, and that was what they could do, and that was what they like felt a, um, a connection to. It was like a body physical thing. So some people were some doing um, sewing and um, like quilting kind of things, like Brenda does. That's why she does her quilting stuff, so she can just. It's a body habit, so you can just have that habit and be functional even when everything else is gone. You can still function. So I don't know if you guys are working on that at all, but it's kind of part of our teaching. Lee's asked, Brenda's asked Lee several times about that kind of a thing, and he's always confirmed, yeah, it's great to do it, keep doing that, or it's necessary to do that. In fact, he told her to be making more of those vests, you know, those vests that she made last year. He says, make more vests great <laughs> more stuff to do but um, you might consider for yourself what what kind of a work habit are do you have that's a physical um, you know physical thing that you can do while while your um, the ego thing is non-functional you know when the, when the mind ego thing is just like <laughs> gone see if it's not safe if it's not like safe for us to be functional in an, in if it's not safe for us to be in the dead state or the burned up state, whatever, the non, then um, we won't go there. We'll be protecting ourselves from going there. But if we have a way to be functional while the while the um, it's flaming and ashes and smoke, while the things disassembling, then we'll have it'll be safe for us to go there. So that might be useful to develop that and I don't know what anybody's doing along those lines to do that but does anybody working on that at all? I only noticed that when I play the golden test that I mean no I'm not there 100% is my attention there for 15 minutes that's the way I'm playing I go off and stuff and then I always notice that like this morning I would mess up I'm not sure, yeah. If I would have had the habit in how to move the fingers. Mm -hmm. There was even one time my fingers almost didn't didn't react, but they did like the as if you know, sometimes you go slow on one end and then you pick it up a little fast on the other end. And this was kind of what was happening. And if somebody and you probably didn't even notice it. I mean the guru Gita, but I noticed it with my fingers. It, it was because I did it so many times. Yeah, the the way that in the Gurdjieff group they would use music would be a different thing. They would use that for attention, like what you're saying. It would be to develop attention and splitting attention and multiple attentions at the same time. But, but they weren't using, so I don't think what they were using music as a, one of those body habits. Essence habits. Mm, I don't. Yeah. Essence habits are something different, actually. This is a, sp a specific physical 
activity that's usually with the hands that's not as complex as music. Music is really complex. It's like really it takes a lot of attention. That there's um, so it's not called essence habit, but it is a habit that you can. It's a physical habit. I don't know if they had a name for it that you do. Because um, I, I once I asked Lee about essence habit. Mm -hmm. He talked about that, and and um, I asked him also if he had some for me. And he said, "Oh no, ask me again." And then it was long, long ago, and it was time when I really had difficulties with cooking and mm -hmm. had, had a hard time and all this. also be um, flower arranging stuff that you you know that it's yeah. always with your hands yeah. and but he said he said cooking because mm -hmm. as I had some uh, doing beads or so and then he just said you cannot buy anything for it or so I don't know why why he hmm. gets this answer <laughs> and, um, hmm. yeah I had a kind of the connection that I mean that you want to have this body habits so that they can earn your living with it. Okay, so yeah, space power. Yeah. I mean, you still have to survive yeah. somehow. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Try it, please. Try it, please. Try it, please. So the, so, in terms of like our school, what is our school teaching about? How do we actually go through that? How do we prepare ourselves for uh, encountering the like the vast, the vastness or the intensity of reality? Like, and how do we how do we go through this kind of cyclic process of um, kind of being consumed? Like the thing that blocks us from from experiencing that being removed a little piece at a time, or like little parts of it moved away, so we can have more and more relationship to reality as it is, or to Lee as he is, for example. <coughs> How um, you know in the in the story of Milarepa, their practice was this kind of sitting practice, where he was doing this very intense sitting, just sitting like no one has ever sat before. Mm. We don't have that in our school as um, the main practice. Our, you know, we definitely have sitting as a practice, but there's, uh, there's a, you know, Lee has said in our school, he said that relationship is our yoga. Anybody hear him say that before? Mm -hmm. 
that our yoga in this school is relationship. And he's always, like his kind of mission or his whatever, if you ask him what his vision is or something, it's the enlightened community. And our, we call ourselves you know, the home community. And community has to do with relationship. And yet, um, you know, our, our teaching doesn't include uh, like communication skills or listening skills or um, doesn't include any of those kinds of skills that are available to be learned about how to be in relationship that um, is mature and is loving or um, is <coughs> kind and generous and compassionate. We're given the instructions to be kind and generous and compassionate, but we're not giving any um, like details. details. <laughs> no details. Figure it out. Yeah. So, um, the question is really, okay, well, so, how do we figure it out? How do we, how do we make the, how do we get the, um, how do we use the yoga that we're given in our school, which is kind and compassion and generous, compassion and generous relationship, how do we use that as a way of um, um, preparing ourselves for encountering the face of God on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. Well, I would say that already the, the result, I mean, if you really could be in relationship, then you would seek out. I mean, it's kind of the same. Can you say more about that? Well, for, well I mean, another example of, um, it's like Lee's, Lee's saying my own Oh, I heard him say something like, or oh, read, whatever. My only aim is to be, oh, my, the only thing I want is to be in relationship with you. So I think, relation, I mean, the whole thing is about relationship. And so it's just Lee, it's, it's with everybody else, and everybody else is just, <coughs> you can see the training ground, or a, a, a mirror, a picture, or part of it, or whatever. I remember um, in the, in a man, a student, a uh, student, asked for uh, Jesus and the diamond, uh, diamond. and uh, Lee said, Jesus knows his facet of a diamond, and uh, everyone has a facet of a diamond. Diamond it's, it's gold, and uh, we have to discover uh, we are a facet, and the other are another facet. And maybe uh, if we are in uh, if we are in the relationship together, we we have the possibility to to see all the diamond to to to, to percevoir to, to perceive mm -hmm. uh, the diamond. Even though we're everybody's different. Yeah, yes. It's all the same. Different. It's on the surface. It's a different yes. direction. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds easy. 
Oui. Il y a des facettes qui... We have to polish also to, to sound the... The surface. The surface. Mm -hmm. We polish. Mm -hmm. Because some are scratching. Mm -hmm. But it's still the diamond. Yes. Even if it's not smooth, it's still the diamond. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's the diamond. But the smooth, like Lee, like you said, Lee has given that metaphor too. That, um, that the stone cutter, which is he's the stone cutter, and we're the stone, and mm -hmm. he knows how to cut the stone so it's smooth. And the, mm -hmm. But he knows where and how and when to make those hammers to make it cut and just make it smooth. Yeah. Well, well, so that it doesn't break. So that's, that's, that's yeah. So it becomes a it, destroying it. So it becomes a, a jewel rather than dust on the floor. Yeah. Correct. So it becomes worth something, yeah. worth more. It's interesting with the diamond because I always uh, connected the diamond at this picture when uh, that he's cutting every one of us. But now I, I hear that we all are one diamond, including mm -hmm. Lee and you, and so Kumar. It's very interesting. You know what, it's like this polishing, the act of polishing is what we're talking about, is going <coughs> through the process of becoming, of becoming mirror, like a perfect reflector of mm -hmm. reality, because if we distort, if we're rough on the surface, then reality is reflects in all different angles, and so it's confusing and we we only see a little bit, it just all goes away, but to mirror back the, the, the sky, to the mirror of the sky, to mirror back the whole thing, then that you have to be 